you are about to listen to the wonderful podcast for the universe. The Energy is Love podcast. So that's my total podcasting voice. But it's me, your host, obviously you know it because you're listening and you've probably listened to other episodes. And for that, I thank you. We thank everybody for tuning in and subscribing and downloading episodes of the podcast. Of course, you know you can go find all the episodes at our website, energyislovepodcast.com. If you haven't already, please go subscribe somewhere, wherever you choose to listen, and follow us on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and all those different places. We appreciate all the love and support. We'd also love to hear from our listeners, so reach out to us, contact us any which way you choose. It doesn't really matter. Just reach out and let us know what you think of the show. Maybe you want to be on the show. We'd love to hear from you. Maybe you want to sponsor the podcast. We'd also love to hear from you in that case. One of the easiest ways is just go to the website and click on the contact link or tab, I suppose it's a tab, and shoot us an email. If you go back and listen to a recent episode that we did with the team from Zenfloat, first off, it was a wonderful episode. It was a lot of fun. But Shane Stott, he's the CEO of Zenfloat. He just recently started a Kickstarter campaign. The purpose of the campaign is raising enough money to fund a documentary highlighting floating and the healing benefits of it. So you can go find all that information on our Facebook page. We've got a link to that Kickstarter. Shane also has the website, The Float Tank Cure. If you go there, you can find the uh, information as well. But it's a wonderful opportunity if you are into floating, if you have experienced the benefits of floating, which we talk about on the podcast from time to time. Go throw them a little bit of money so they can get that uh, documentary up and running. It's going to eventually be made and put out on Netflix and Amazon and all those other wonderful places which will be a great opportunity for more and more people to hear about and learn about all the benefits of floating. On today's episode, I got a chat with a wonderful guy. His name is uh, Toby Christensen. I found Toby online after I was, uh, I don't even remember what I was searching for, but I came across his uh, Facebook page first and foremost, and I went and checked out his website. The website is healingdrummer.com. So Toby has a really interesting story and journey that he's gone through. Toby's a musician that's uh, been playing music his whole life, and to listen to his journey and his experiences and everything that's kind of led him to the point where he's at now, but he does a lot of uh, sound therapy work with clients, workshops, and things like that. Toby's tagline, or his mission, I suppose, the thing that he kind of focuses on is change your rhythm, change your life, which what he does is he uses sound therapy in the form of uh, drumming, a lot of those native African drums, uh, djembe, I believe is how you pronounce the type of drum that he uses mainly. He works with clients in sessions designed to help raise and change and alter the vibration, which then in the long run can change people's lives incredibly profoundly and almost instantaneously in a sense. He talks a lot about it during the episode. Really fascinating guy, really wonderful episode. He had a lot of great stories and inside and I really enjoyed chatting with him. So go check him out. Like I said, he's on Facebook at The Healing Drummer. You can go to his website, healingdrummer.com. But for now, sit back and relax and enjoy this wonderful episode with Toby Christensen on the podcast for the universe. Here we go. You're listening to the Energy is Love podcast. Energy is love. The Energy is the love podcast. The Energy is Love podcast. Energy is love. The Energy is Love podcast. The podcast for the universe. The Energy is Love podcast. Well, good morning, Toby. Well, good morning, Craig. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time to be on the podcast. I really, really appreciate it. Oh, absolutely. My pleasure. And um, where are you from? That's one thing I probably should ask you before we hit record. But Well, originally I'm from Seattle, Washington, and uh, I'm living in Cincinnati, Ohio right now. And how long have you been there? I've been here for, gosh, I think four years. And then before we hit record, you mentioned that you did live in Utah at one point. Yeah, I moved from, uh, I lived in Portland, Oregon for a while, and then I moved to Park City, Utah. I kind of lived the life of a vacation, uh, permanent vacation vagabond. I, uh, I lived in Park City part of the year, and I lived on the island of Kauai for part of the year. You've got all these wonderful places, Seattle and Portland, and people that aren't familiar with Park City, it's a beautiful town up in the mountains. Yeah, I've been very fortunate to uh, be able to hang out in, in some some very nice places. And because of the work that I do, you know, I can do workshops anywhere and I can do private sessions anywhere. So usually I either form a community where wherever it is that I live or um, 
people come from other places you know, because especially like Park City and, and Kauai were both huge destination areas. Uh, it made it nice because people could take their vacation, come to a workshop, and uh, and and because especially on Hawaii, uh, it, in Hawaii, uh, I was in really tight with the locals because I had been going there about five months a year for ten years, and I was able to provide my clients with an experience that that you couldn't get going on vacation there. So it was really uh, awesome to be able to do that and to to live that way. Isn't that kind of a big thing? Like uh, I've heard, I've never been to Hawaii before, but I've heard that as far as like the locals go, obviously they're, you know, accepting and welcoming and everything like that, but only to a certain point if you're not necessarily a native or if you're not a, somebody that kind of grew up there. Correct. It, it took me uh, seven years of going there, contributing a lot to the community, speaking at their wellness expo every year before I had a one of the kumus who's a kumu is like a shaman or a teacher. Uh, one of the kumus uh, made a, a request to get together and their 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 statement was just, I've been watching you for the last few years and now I'd like to work with you. <laughs> <laughs> so you as a what they call a haole, uh, as a white person, um, you have to earn their trust and, and that is not earned easily. Yeah. I like that though. I think that that, you know, I think that there's probably, that's probably a right way to do things. Yeah, I think so. It's, it's, it's true to the indigenous traditions where, uh, ethics, uh, are, are more important than cash flow. I worked with the Lakota for six years. I trained with, a, a Phil, Phil Crazy Bull of the Lakota uh, Nation, the Rosebud Reservation. And, uh, it took me about three years before, um, before he would in, invite me to some of the more, uh, exclusive ceremonies. And, um, it, it, there's, uh, something kind of nice to that on some of my trips to West Africa, uh, a lot of the tribes people, if you're white, that means you have money. So you automatically go to the front of the line. That always seemed to me to be a bit, uh, unfair or actually quite, quite Western. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, it was refreshing to see that some of the Kumus, uh, still held with the ancient traditions of, of people needing to earn their trust before they were um, pri privy to, you know, the ancient wisdom. So one of the things that I like doing with the podcast is we get the opportunity to not just, you know, I get to speak with all these wonderful, amazing people like yourself, for example. Um, but I like to learn about their, their path and their journey into kind of spirituality and all these kind of different things. And I think it's good for the listeners, you know, somebody that's out there that may have some inclination or be headed down some path. And, but then the realization that, you know, everybody had to start somewhere. Boy, ain't that the truth. <laughs> so give us a yeah. little bit of your background kind of as far as, as far as like when it comes to drumming, cause that's a big thing with what you do. Oh yeah. The sound therapy and everything like that. Uh, is, were you always kind of involved in music in a sense growing up and things like that? Yes, my first drumming experience was uh, on the wooden uh, windowsills of my parents' house with can openers. And you can imagine how well that went over. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> when I was a little kid, I saw the Beatles on the Ed Sullivan show, and I determined at that moment that I was going to be Ringo Starr. So I had a natural propensity. I was I was one of those fortunate people that was born with a gift. Um and I started off with can openers on the windowsill and ended up with uh, oatmeal boxes and pans. When I was about five or six years old, my parents bought me a, a little snare drum. And uh, I would sit at, you know, six, seven, eight years old. I would put a stack of records on the, on the phonograph and I would sit for hours and play that snare drum to the Yardbirds, to the Rolling Stones, to the Beatles, um, and, and th that was my deal. Uh, I was going to be a rock and roll star and, uh, pursued music all through my life. Um, uh, just basically as an entertainment kind of, uh, situation. Uh, when I was 15 years old, I started playing professionally, uh, in the Seattle area and, uh, was with one of the top bands. Uh, I was 16 years old. The next member of the band closest to age was, uh, 26 and uh, they were all music majors who had graduated from college. So it was, it was a really good band. But uh, uh, 
when we got to a certain point, uh, the band fell apart. I was crushed and devastated. I had a, um, what do I want to call it? A, um, I, I, I had an awakening, a spiritual awakening. And, uh, I, I got sucked into a, an organization, a good organization. Uh, I used the term sucked in just from my own experience with the, <laughs> the group I was in. I don't want to piss anybody off, but, uh, there was a group called young life. And, uh, I, I then adapted, I had been raised in the Lutheran church. Uh, so I was familiar with church. I was raised uh, in the Christian religion and, uh, was always a bit horrified by it. You know, I remember doing the apostles creed every Sunday. I am by nature sinful and unclean and I'm separate from God. And I, you know, that kind of bothered me. I'm, uh, but nonetheless, uh, this young life presented this really great personal relationship with God. And it, it seemed like a good thing. Plus there was lots of cute girls there and they played like folk music and rock music that I could really relate to. And so I, I went that direction and actually right out of high school, uh, went to seminary and became a rock and roll evangelist. <laughs> and, really? Uh, yeah, I traveled the United States and Canada. I worked for a Christian Life Center in Santa Rosa, California. We were one of the first uh, original uh, freeway churches. You know, we had the TV station and the radio stations and the big auditoriums. You know, we it, it was it was quite the production. What uh, what time period was this? This was uh, I started there in uh, I started seminary in 1976, uh, attended for three years, and then went out on the road with a band. Uh, so and then ended up leaving uh, at a, in about 1982, and uh, I. I loved the love of the religion. I didn't like the business of the religion. Mm. I, I was, I became very, very brokenhearted as I saw every, no exaggeration, every single pastor that I worked with was in massive violation of what they taught. You know, I think uh, for me personally, when it comes to religion as a whole, whether we, you know, any religion out there, I think that the base and at the core of it, they're always really, really um, genuine and good for the most part. I mean, she, and you know, when there's some out there ones that probably aren't, but I think as a whole religion is really, really wonderful and amazing. And then it gets screwed up and tainted by man. Yeah. It appears to, to my experience was the bigger and more uh, dynamic. The, the place where I met, let's say this, the place where I met the coolest, most authentic people were in the smallest churches. Yeah. I found the seduction of fame and money was no different in the religion business than it was in the secular music business. So when you say that, because about 16 is when you kind of go through this phase where you kind of have this awakening and you get involved in the, in the, in this church, um, mm -hmm. what aspect of it, like if you could look back now, because having played music your whole life and been, you know, a musician, when did you kind of start to make the correlation connection uh, on a deeper level where it wasn't just that you enjoyed it and that it was fun and that, you know, you were having a good time playing music, but that there was a spiritual connection to the music. Well, I think that happened in the, in my work with the church. Uh, one of the things that I realized here was this huge multi-million dollar complex with ph phenomenal technicians at every, uh, at every helm, uh, except people didn't know how to do the music like for the worship service, people didn't know the science of connecting to people. And so I became just a, a, a natural uh, in the in the system, because when you play secular music and you're in a you're in a nightclub or you're in an auditorium, you have you learn how to touch the people and to evoke uh, emotion from them to 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 prod them into opening up. And uh, with church, because people came there with the specific intention to connect with God, it was it was really easy to do that. And I watched the effect of those hymns and those uh, those modern songs really impact these people. And and I believe that it was absolute, absolutely sincere and authentic. And uh, it was really powerful for me to see music have that kind of an impact and really a, a life-changing uh, experience for people. And then at what point do you kind of, I guess, branch out and go on your own? 
Well, in in about eighty two, uh, this huge fiasco happened, and our church ended up going bankrupt. and And I just said, you know, screw this, I'm out of here. And so I basically said, screw God, screw you, church. I'm just going to go be rich and famous, and I'm going to be a, a high powered businessman and um, do what I want to do. And I left, and I went and got a job with Nordstrom, and was a buyer for Nordstrom for some years. Got into that whole corporate scene. Um, I was recruited uh, by a company called Avia, which was a, an athletic shoe company. We had tremendous success there, and and I I completely let music go away. Um, through that time, this was back in the in the eighties and early nineties. Um, I was fortunate to achieve the success that I had always dreamed of. The only part that I didn't count on was the cocaine addiction. Mm. <laughs> and uh it seems like they almost go hand in hand sometimes oh my god yeah and that was that was the 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 time in our in our american history when that was just you know if you were a young budding executive making more money than you should uh <laughs> that was just the natural consequence and you know i think i would i always had that spiritual hunger and when i left the church i didn't have a place for it to go i stopped playing music and I completely became obsessed by wealth and power. And, um, and you know, I, I, in a sense, I feel like during those, those, those years, I lost my soul from the, you know, uh, mid eighties to the mid nineties. Uh, I lost my soul and, and what filled that was, was drugs and craziness. Had you ever and, kind of gone through a period of time before where you struggled with addiction or was it, was it a new thing for you? That was a new thing for me. Uh, I always have been, um, I've always been uh, spontaneous, shall we say, <laughs> super high energy mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, and, and always up for the dare. But I had never gotten into a situation that was that was problematic. Um, and so um, that was that was uh, that was a wake up call for me. It was it was in my recovery process uh, from cocaine that uh, a therapist that I was working with, um, introduced me to a guy from Africa and, uh, I, I got tricked into going to one of these men's conference meetings. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 my therapist goes, you really should, uh, you really should go to the workshop this weekend. And I'm like, you know what, dude, I do not want to go to the freaking Kumbaya land, you know, where, you know, let's read poetry and cry and, you know, show our feminine side. I yeah. Said, we just got to hug it out. Oh yeah, I just said that's just such bullshit. I just like you know, I just won't go there. And uh, what happened was, I ended up meeting this guy, the African uh, gentleman that was he was hosting, and I I fell in love. I mean, this guy was the kind of person that I always wanted to be. He was authentic. He was genuine. He had a spirituality that he that was absolutely non-judgmental. Uh, I mean, he really met you where you were. And, and I was so blown away by his love and his compassion and his openness that it, it, it was completely outside of any parameters I, I'd ever experienced from someone who was, quote, a spiritual leader. And uh, so I went ahead and went to the workshop and I told my therapist, I said, I'll go for the evening intro, but I'm not going to stay. Well, what happened was this guy brings out this djembe drum, which is a, a drum from West Africa. And he started playing it. And when that drum started, my heart blew wide open. And I'm, I'm, I get emotional when I tell the story and it was, <laughs> you know, it was almost 30 years ago. Um, I, um, something changed instantaneously and I, I, <laughs> this poor guy sitting next to me, I just grabbed his drum, pulled it in front of me and started playing along with the teacher. And we jammed for like, I know I, we must've jammed for two hours. You know, my hands were blistered. I, I, I hadn't played for 12 years. And uh, that was the defining moment that changed everything for me because I found my spiritual path and I, I reunited myself with music. Mm, that's good stuff. Oh, oh, it was it was really powerful. So after having that experience, if you could look back, so you say kind of your heart, you know, opened up completely. Like what would be 
What would be a really deep spiritual way of describing that? <laughs> Does that make sense? Because people out there will hear this and they'll think, okay, so he goes and he goes to this workshop and some guy starts playing a drum and then he gets all emotional and they're not making the correlation or connection necessarily. Yeah, and and see, there's a, there's a different, and this is something that when I when I do my uh, my music uh, music therapy training, um, I always deal with people on this issue because it's really important. A cathartic experience is not necessarily a transformation. Okay, and we see this in modern psychology all the time. And there's nothing wrong with modern psychology. I got lots of help from some great therapists and psychologists in my life. However. One of the things about Western psychology is we do a lot of talking about the problem. And one of the things that I've learned in the last 30 years is what you focus on, you feed. So when you come in and you continue to focus on the problem, you continue to feed the problem and you might get a release. Oh, I felt so better after my session. Great. How did your life change? It's always my first question. And what happened for me in that moment when, when this guy started playing the drum was my life changed. Everything about the way I felt, everything about the way that I saw things, every ounce of resistance within my being was completely eradicated. And I don't even, I don't even have the words to articulate it other than it's kind of like you know, you're driving along, like for me, and, and, and sorry about you guys that like country music, I cannot stand most country music. Okay? <laughs> it drives me freaking crazy. The twangy telecasters and the, and the whiny voices and the stupid stories, they drive me nuts. Okay. So I don't care about your pickup truck and your dog. So if I'm, if I'm listening to the radio and a country western song comes on, the first thing I do is reach for the button and I change it. And that's exactly what happened in my life. It's like in that one moment, I realized the song of my life sucked and I changed the station. The djembe switched me to a new frequency. I didn't make any great sacrifice. I didn't, you know, it wasn't like um, I started channeling a 20,000 year old being or anything, you know, <laughs> shit like that. You know, I just got blessed and I got changed, period. And, and, you know, now a lot of people have spiritual experiences, but the important thing is what do you do once it happens? Because we all have a choice. Once we have something profound that knocks on our door, we get the opportunity to either open it up and invite it in or to ignore the knock on the door. And, um, for me, it was one of those things where the timing was such that, I was absolutely ready. I had hit rock, rock bottom uh, several months before. I had uh, sat down with a, a bottle of Tangeray and a nine millimeter pistol and decided that I didn't want to live anymore. So I literally had hit the bottom. If it weren't for getting really drunk and passing out, I just, when I, when I came to the next morning, it just didn't seem like such a good idea. Uh, so I put the gun away. But, um, so I had, I had really hit rock bottom and, and there was some kind of spark of life that woke up inside me, um, that just, that changed everything. Did you continue on? Like, did you have a connection now with that guy? Oh yeah. I, I just, I, I couldn't go to enough workshops, you know, I'm like, okay, now I want to learn about ritual. Now I want to learn about, you know, what the, the five elements I, you know, it was a, it was a, it's a West African cosmology that's very similar to Chinese medicine in terms of being uh, based on a five element uh, uh, system uh, that helps us c connect to the things that we are created from and the things that the world is around us and learning how to maneuver those energies to help balance out aspects of our lives. And to me, it was a system that made a lot of sense that I could understand that was easy to implement and that got results. So when you say a five element system, what, what exactly do you mean? Okay. Um, it's the system is, uh, the system is based, their whole cosmology is based on the fact that we are connected to five primary elements, fire, water, earth, mineral, and nature in Chinese medicine. Uh, nature would be wood and mineral would be metal. And, uh, so it's, 
and and by connecting to those, each of those elements has an intrinsic energy. Fire is uh, inspiration, passion, clear vision, and spiritual connection. Water is healing and reconciliation. Earth is uh, nurturing, abundance, welcoming, and home. Uh, mineral is about communication, stories, and connecting to our life's purpose. And nature is magic and transformation. When we're in alignment with those energies, um, our life goes pretty well. Uh, we know which energies to connect to based on the, si the situation that we're going into. And then um, when when we want to uh, propagate a certain intention, we can connect to the element elemental power to help uh, accelerate uh, our our desired outcome. So did you did you just go all in with this stuff and just start like really start incorporating it and using it and Oh yeah. Yeah, I wanted to know how to build the shrine. How do you build a personal shrine? How do you <laughs> use it? What are the rituals that are connected with each of the elements? You know, I I was I was all in. Well, it so, sounds like really, you know, like I mean like you described it sounds like a really life-changing moment in time. Yeah, it was it was big. And the thing that's important because of the uh, whether intentional or unintentional, I'm, I'm going to use the word deception just because I, I don't feel that I was given a, 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 a full dash of true information when I was in the in the church. Um, after that deception, even though I was all in, I was always watching everything that I did to see if I was getting the results that I intended to get. In other words, is this real or is this a bunch of hocus pocus where I'm supposed to say these things? And uh, I don't know how many times I heard, well, well, God has healed you, but you just have the symptoms. And I'm like, <laughs> that's so messed up. What does that you even know? mean? <laughs> exactly. It's like, OK, if you have cancer and you're healed of cancer, you don't have the damn cancer anymore. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, and 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 I kept hearing these ministers that would do this hands on faith healing. And and some of it, I, I saw some legit miracles, no doubt about it. But I also saw a bunch of crap. And, uh, you know, so a guy still has, you know, these giant tumors on him and, oh, God's healed you. It's you just have the symptoms of the disease. Well, dude, I want everything gone. <laughs> <laughs> and so it was a it was a process for me as I in, as I engaged in this. And same when I started with the Lakota, you know, it, it they had some really interesting teachings and they had some really challenging ceremonies. And I'm always up for a challenge, but it's got to be for a purpose. So it's did you hold be, on to that kind of skepticism for a while? Oh, I still hold on to it. Absolutely. Do you think, because anytime anybody, I mean, for me personally, as I go through kind of like my spiritual journey, transformation, awakening, whatever we want to call it, I was mm -hmm. super skeptical. Um, yeah. Just questioning, you know, all these different ideas and concepts and stuff that I was kind of learning about and um, <laughs> experiencing. And then eventually for me personally, I just got to a point where, I kind of had to let go of, I mean, I still question things, but it's almost like from a space of now everything is big enough and there's enough space out in the universe to where, you know, anything could be possible. So I'm going to kind of evaluate it from that perspective. But then I let go of some of the skepticism surrounding some of the more out there ideas or concepts or beliefs. Does that make sense? Yeah. And, you know, for me, I'm, I'm, I'm still skeptical. Uh, I, I, I am open to a lot more and, you know, um, prove it. Okay. Perfect. Perfect example. I'm doing a concert with this guy on Kauai and, uh, and, and he's a very, very good musician and he's a really good showman. I mean, this guy knows how to work a crowd and he had his guitar going and he had this Kumbaya song going. And then all of a sudden he's, he jumps into, and everyone's, all the girls are looking at him going, oh, he's so spiritual. He's so enlightened. And, and man, he had the, he had the sarong on and he had the scarves and the long flowing blonde hair. I mean, it, it just, he is just working it. And uh, afterwards I asked him, I said, uh, so what the hell was that? And he's like, Oh, I was channeling angel. <laughs> I said, Oh, really? What angel? And he looked at me like I was some kind of psychopath. And I said, Really? What angel? He said, Well, 
I don't know. It was just Angel. And I said, well, what did you say? He said, Toby, I was channeling Angel. I don't know what I said. I said, so let me get this straight. You're channeling a message to a group of 150 people. You don't know who it's from and you don't know what you're saying. So basically you could have cursed everybody with pancreatic cancer and you don't even freaking know. <laughs> and and he's like, he looked horrified because I'm like, you know, just because something comes through and it sounds really cool doesn't mean that it's good or authentic or helpful. So, you know, one of the things that I learned from my teachers and, and I've been blessed to have some really good teachers is, you know, the power of the, the power of the spiritual person is the, is the depth of the relationship that you make with the, with the other world. So you know who you're dealing with. If you're going to give a message to a group of people, you better know what the heck you're saying and you better know who it's coming from. You don't just randomly, you know, it'd be like some guy coming up on the you know on the side of the street and handing you a gun and telling you to shoot yourself um and and you do it because he was a spiritual dude and looked like jesus you know do you believe in that uh do you believe in that concept or idea of channeling when people would um be in some space where they would start to receive information or insight i have met out of the maybe 500 people that want me to drum for them while they channel i've probably met two authentic channels Maybe. And some of the very, very famous channels that I won't mention, uh, but that everybody who's listening would know who they are. Um, the only thing that they had to say about their channeling was that they get over a hundred thousand people in their podcast or in their uh, webinars and they make over $200,000 an hour when they channel. Gosh. See, I always, cause like the whole idea and concept, I think it's, um, for me personally, I think that we almost always channel, right? I think that we're always, because if you think about the information that you receive, suddenly you're getting a thought or an idea sure. or something mm -hmm. pops into your head almost seemingly out of nowhere. I mm -hmm. believe that that's channeled information. Sure. But I think that that information is sent to us or we pick it up and receive it just from that space of ideas that exist, which we're a very, very big part of. Right. And so that whole idea that, you know, I'm connected to some archangel or some higher consciousness level being, it's not that I question it or doubt it. I think like, you know, like you said, it's, I think that it's kind of few and far in between. Yes. And it's always that thing where you, I mean, I'm always super skeptical when somebody starts talking about those channeled messages that they received or, I mean, people use it in a very generic way too, where they're, you know, I was... Uh, spirit guided me to write this Facebook post or, you know, I had to reach out to you today because, and I think that it gives, I think it gives the really genuine things. I mean, it's like the, you know, the boy that cried wolf, it just really kind of makes everything super convoluted. And then people looking at it from the outside in, people who aren't necessarily, you know, believers or spiritual, then it all just looks like a bunch of bullshit. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and I, I, you know, I'm, 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 I'm skeptical, um, because I want to be authentic. And, and so I'm not doubting the intentions of this, of these people. It's like when that guy did his really cool channeling, I mean, you know, God, the, the girls were swooning and the place was vibrating. There was no question that there was some kind of cool vibe coming through. <clears throat> but to me, because of the oath that I took through my shamanic training uh, is to my, my, my vow was to eradicate spiritual ignorance. And if you're bringing a message and you don't know what that message is or who it's from, that's spiritual ignorance to me. And, uh, and I didn't want this person to change anything. I would just encourage them to find out who they were dealing with and what the message was. And if you speak it in a language that people can actually understand, they're going to get a lot more of it. And if it is really an angel, angels are pretty freaking smart, I'm, I'm pretty sure. And I'm <laughs> quite certain they can probably speak English. Or yeah, or at least figure out some other form or fashion to communicate with us. Yeah, like, come on, let's like, hey, you, you, you guys are cool, and thank you for being here tonight, and you know, kumbaya. Uh, you know, everybody would have like gotten that, and it, it would have been really neat. It just wouldn't have been the thing that I think happens in the in the new agey kind of scene 
is that it's the exact same thing that happens in the in the church scene. There's a hierarchy of spirituality, and if you have this this uh, exclusive connection to these beings who only you have the connection to that makes you better than or more powerful than everybody else around you and so you're in this place of of leadership or or grooviness um suit to where people will follow you and 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 all that and you know i i just i've had enough of that kind of stuff in the in the uh, secular world and in the in the uh traditional religious world i really don't have room for it in in the spiritual world uh in 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 west africa the tribe that i worked with they they say that each and every person is born a genius and it's the job of the village to acknowledge and support the the genius that resides in each and every person and and there is no hierarchy every single person brings their own genius and it's not about being better than or more exclusive than. It's about let's all share together and build on each other so that we have a community that's thriving and and, and successful. I really like that idea, that whole concept. I mean, I, I would totally agree. I think that it it's interesting how society has skewed some of those things. One of the one of the things that I wanna get your opinion on or your take on, because if you've gone through some shamanic training, it sounds like and you've worked with the Lakota and you've gone to Africa and worked with tribes mm-hmm. and things like that. Um, I have this idea or this concept. And when you think about the way energy works and energy is just a broad term, but mm-hmm. it's always continually evolving. It's always changing. It's always moving perpetually forward. And then we have information, uh, ceremonies, uh, rituals, um, ways of working and incorporating energy that are based mm-hmm. off of civilizations and cultures from thousands of years ago. Mm-hmm. And in my mind, I think that it's a wonderful platform. It's a wonderful base kind of, you know, if you're going to build a foundation, it's a wonderful way to start uh, that foundation on some of these old teachings and some of these rituals that have been around for a very, very long time. Mm-hmm. But I also think that the way the energy worked, you know, 5,000 years ago when they implemented some of these rituals or even further back, 10,000, 15,000, 100,000 years ago, the energy works so much differently now. And so I think people get very dogmatic when it comes to their ancient um, belief systems or rituals or concepts and ideas surrounding some of those teachings when they're... I think they're just a good foundation. I think that they don't necessarily correlate and work the exact same way simply because the energy that exists on the planet now is so vastly different than it was back in the day. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah. And, and you know, I think that, that in, in, at least in the West, um, there is such a, a uh, lack of connection with energy um, because we have technology. We don't need to do the work that the ancient people did to connect to the messages of the spirits because we've got Hay House. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and, and we don't have to go through the initiations because we have, we have, uh, we have workshops that we can go to and, and, and we have people telling us what to do all the time. And, and the thing is back in the day, People had to go through their own initiations and they had to put in the hours to learn to learn who they were connecting with and and how to do that. And sure, they had elders, but um, it, it was your own personal journey, um, you know, when you went through initiation. And I, I think that there's constantly new ways of expressing the energy that exists and and maybe there's new kinds of spiritual energies around now you know i'm not sure um i know a lot of people who think there are and i know a lot of and and i have my way of discerning whether i'm i buy into it or not um one of the one of the fields that i've reluctantly worked in is people who have been abducted by aliens or who say they have been and that's really, really out of the uh, – that's out of my usual ballpark um, because I usually leave that for other more new agey kind of people. But I've actually worked for a 
a government agency. <laughs> I can't really say much uh, about it, but but like this was a legitimate deal. And for me to um, see how this person was expressing their connection to this energy that was very, very unfamiliar to me, um, I, I had to look for ways of verifying its authenticity that were in alignment with what I could understand. And uh, when I was in Burkina Faso, I mean, man, I, I, we were doing ritual one day. This is just an example of some of the things that they take for granted that totally freaked me out um, in terms of how energy works. Um, we had done ritual by the Great River. We had these animal sacrifices. I mean, this was like old school, man. This was Old Testament. And uh, we did the goats and the chickens. And uh, on our way back, it was about a 30-minute drive. And we're, we're in a suburban that we had shipped over to that country so that my, uh, my friend and teacher uh, had some transportation over there. And, uh, but there's no roads, right? So we were on some rough terrain. So we're about 30 minutes back coming back to the village from the ritual space. And I realized that I had left my camera sitting on the stump next to where we ate lunch. And so I'm like, ah, oh, crap. And uh, my friend turns around, Maladoma turns around and he says, Toby, what's up? I said, I can't believe it, Maladoma. I forgot my camera on the stump next to where we ate lunch. Well, he's sitting next to, uh, there was one of the elders who was sitting in the passenger seat riding shotgun. And they start talking Dagara. And I have no idea. It just sounded like gibberish to me. you know. And all of a sudden it got really quiet. And Maladoma stepped on the brakes. And he pointed to the front of the car and he said, go get your camera. My camera appeared on the hood of the car. So what? So to them, <laughs> I, I'm like, I'm like, what the hell? Yeah, um, exactly. What them, the hell? To them, that's just how energy works. Ganin bilocated. His spirit went back, grabbed my camera and brought it and put it on the car. And to me, I almost wet my pants. I mean, I had I had no context in my psyche for how to translate what just happened, you know, but to them, it was just like, oh, Ganin went and got it. What do you mean Ganin went and got it? <laughs> Ganin was sitting in the passenger seat and it's 30 minutes away. He would still be walking to get it, not even back. And in like 15 seconds, here it is. You know, that just freaked me out. And then when these beings called Contomblis showed up. You know, like real honest to God, like things appear out of nowhere and, and, you know, they go, oh, the Contobles are here. And, and I'm, I'm like, because uh, 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 I'd never seen that kind of stuff before. What were they called? Contobles. And like, what exactly was it? Like, were you guys oh, in, the, in ceremony or something like that? No, and... no, I was in my bedroom. <laughs> So I was sleeping one night and I woke up and there were these, um, you know, those exercise balls. They're about, I don't know, a foot and a half, two feet in diameter. Uh -huh. Okay. Well, imagine one of those with a halogen light inside of it floating about three feet, three to four feet off the ground. And there were two of them and they're floating around and I wake up and I go, okay, Toby, you clearly you're still asleep and this has to be a lucid dream. Well, I had gone to Africa with my friend Ed, and so I just quickly just checked myself, slapped myself in the cheek. Yep, I'm awake. Um, okay, those things are still floating around. They didn't clear. It's not like I have some kind of – you know how people take pictures and they see a little ripple and they go, oh, there's an orb in my picture. Oh, there's spirit showing up. No, this was like a freaking silver ball floating around my room. I'm like, this is not like some orb that might be there or it might be a dust spot. This is – not natural. So I, I whispered over to Ed and I'm like, Ed, do you see that? He says, you mean those silver balls floating around the room? I'm like, yeah, <laughs> duh. Uh-huh. Uh, we watched them for about an hour and a half. And, uh, and then in the morning we go running out to, to and we're like, Maladoma, Maladoma, silver balls. Holy shit. What, what? And he starts laughing and he's like, oh, I forgot to tell you, I put you in Martine's room. My sister, she's a Contombly channeler and there's a vortex to the other world in the middle of your bedroom. 
Um, those were the contumelies. They were just checking you out while you were sleeping because your defense mechanisms are down when you sleep uh, so that they could understand you better because we're going to go to the village and we're going to work with them. I'm like, Jesus, you could have just asked. You scared the crap out of us. <laughs> so all of those ideas, all those concepts, like him by locating yeah. and going and getting your camera and this experience yeah. with that, is it, I mean, it sounds like it, you know, they they don't necessarily think to, they don't think twice about it. It just happens. It's just, it's just known that this is something that exists and this is what it is. Right. So how the hell do you come back to America having experienced some things like that and then not just because for me personally, if I go through an experience like that, I'm going to become incredibly fascinated and kind of like absorbed by it to where I want to understand so much more and really, you know, dive into that stuff. Well, I just kept I kept studying with them. You know, he, it's funny. We kind of sh we shifted from teacher student to to colleagues and and we've uh, co-facilitated many workshops together over the years. Um, but it, it's just, you know, you, you keep learning. And the thing that's important is that there's no fixed rule of, of dogma that's ever created because the Contoblis will show up one way one time and they'll show up completely a different way another time just so you don't expect or presume uh, that you've got it wired. And I think that the, the thing about the West is we always want to create a system that that normalizes any experience that we have so that we can either share it or re-experience it re-experience it um in a in a calculatable way and the thing about energy as you say it's continually moving and, and flowing and you know this is the difference between uh a what i would call a spiritual uh, follower, which there's nothing wrong with being a spiritual follower. Um, sometimes I wish I, that's all, I, I wish I would have just stayed at that capacity. Um, and then the, the, the other step is you become, uh, you become a trailblazer where you're continually diving deeper and deeper. Okay. I, I've got, you know, kind of like scuba diving, you know, you know what it's like to dive at 20 or 30 feet. You know, what's it like at 50 feet? What's it like at 100 feet? What's it like at 200 feet? You know, what's it like to go with helium and to really get down to some of these shipwrecks? You know, um, the, there's this this some people have the passion that just causes them to go deeper. And uh, as you when you go deeper, you have less and less solid ground for footing. Uh, so you 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 need to learn how to uh, maneuver safely and and learn the rules of the game as you go along because in the energy world or the spiritual world you know the spirits don't necessarily have the same context that you do and so when we try and apply hard fast rules um, sometimes we limit ourselves and the possibility of expansion well i think it's a good point i think like you said it, it's you know people in the west or you know a lot of people in general they definitely try to compartmentalize and make things much smaller so that they can grasp and understand. And then, like you said, hopefully recreate that experience. Or, I mean, I can think about when I first started meditating, I would um, meditate in a very specific way. I would, you know, have some sort of process that this is how I meditated because I was going to achieve this same thing. Mm -hmm. And I realized after, you know, not very long of trying to always recreate the same experience through meditation by doing the exact same things. As soon as I started to like just let go and open up and try different things and different techniques and different places, um, it really helped me kind of expand in that space. And so it no longer became, I had to meditate, you know, in the same spot every day at the same time, listening to the same mantra or whatever the case may be, uh -huh. just letting go into that space. I mean, it helped so much. Yeah. And, you know, I have certain safety protocol that I've followed for the last 20 years that that I use because it works and it doesn't hinder um, it doesn't hinder where I want to go and how I how I uh, it doesn't it doesn't mess with my intentions when it does. I'll rework it. But until it does, as long as it continues to fulfill its uh, its purpose, uh, I find no I find no need to change it. That makes sense. You know, so if, if you're going to if you're going to go into in shark infested waters, it's probably a good idea to to have a protocol of safety, probably to be in a in a cage 
of of metal that has the capacity to uh, withhold the the blow of a of a shark. Um, probably the biggest one you could think of, just in case it comes along. <laughs> <laughs> so so now there are some people who are in shark infested waters who have the belief system that a shark will never attack them. And, and they have done many, many swims with sharks then, and have never been attacked. And, and all this, it takes is one shark attack and you don't get the opportunity for a second one. So for me, uh, certain types of safety protocol are really, really important and critical. And, and, and I teach my students uh, about them. And, uh, I often have uh, uh, certain people that are just like, oh, everything is just love and light and nothing will ever happen. And then something happens and they get, you know, possessed by some kind of a shape-shifting demon or something that, that looked like, you know, Little Red Riding Hood and uh, was actually the wolf. And, uh, you know, then we fix them and, and they learn. So I want to ask you further because that whole concept and idea – First off, tell me what are those safety procedures or protocols or the steps that you take before you go into some of those spaces and some of that stuff? Well, I've spent, I've spent, I, st- I had the good fortune back before he had a stroke of uh, studying with Michael Harner. And uh, he's just an amazing anthropologist. He's a, a cultural anthropologist that has uh, spent the last almost 60 years uh, living with tribes around the world. And uh, he's created this thing called core shamanism. And I like it because he takes the he the distillation of what he's learned from many, many, many cultures uh, and distilled it into a into a uh, kind of a, pr- a protocol, so to speak. It's it's what are common things that every single tribesman does as a spiritual leader. And uh, one of the things uh, he names it, uh, it's got a good Western name. It's called your power spot. And it's a there's a whole way of setting up this this place that's like stepping into um, into a, a, a field of protection of of that's in alignment with uh, what we might call, for lack of a better term, it's 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 locked into the energy of your highest self. Uh, it is absolutely impenetrable by any other kind of uh, kind of energy, and. Uh, when you are in that in that place, you create uh, what's called a circle of power, which are p- protectors, warrior types, and there's also wisdom keepers that surround you that are your access to to draw from. And then over the last uh, 30 years that I've been uh, practicing this, um, I have you know it's gotten bigger and bigger and bigger and it's got I've got a a pretty good crew maybe 70 or 80 beings or or energies that I communicate with and that I know very well. And uh, so that's the that's the protocol I use. So when I'm working let's say with an alien abductee because I don't know the energy of these uh aliens. I don't even know if they're for real or if these people are just psychotic. Um I just know that I've been hired to, to work on them. And, uh, so if I'm working from that place and I'm accessing my database through these spiritual entities that I've, uh, created a relationship with, there's usually somebody that knows something about what I'm dealing with that, that, uh, gives me the information that's needed to help the people that I'm working with. So how do you, how do you receive that information? Cause I think that a lot of times people who, one of the things I just absolutely love doing with the podcast is kind of educating people. So somebody's going to be listening to what you just said and you're communicating with other entities or beings and they yeah. give you information. How do you receive that information or you know, what shape, form, how does it come to you? Well, t- for me, I, I see it as like a movie, complete, absolute technicolor, 3D. You know, it's like I'm, I'm, uh, I'm standing in the middle of the jungle book. You know, uh, and then what I have is I'll use either a pendulum or what I learned in West Africa was uh, using what are called asking shells, which are uh, certain kind of shells that you use. And there's a ceremony that you go through with these shells that are that help give you a yes, no answers and uh, and other types of direction um, so that I have a confirmation to what I think I'm hearing or feeling or prompted to do, um, so that I can find out 
I, I have a, a secondary confirmation. Um, I, I always tell people I, I, I've had the blessing of being uh, passed down a, an ancient tradition of cowrie shell reading. Uh, there's very few people in the world that that have been uh, gifted this directly from the elders, and uh, I happen to be one of them. And one of the things that they always say in their own funny way is, nobody cares what you say. We only care what the ancestors say. <laughs> and and so what's really important is you have these asking shells that differentiate. They give you yes, no answers, whether it's you or whether it's, you know, a direct call from the ancestors. And, and that's what they call the spirit beings. Um, I'm always I'm always leery when I'm at some kind and I usually don't go to them. But if I'm at some kind of a new age, uh, you know, a psychic fair or something like that. I'm always leery of, you know, oh, I see your guides and my intuition says that, you know what, I don't care about your intuition. That's your intuition. Keep it to yourself. Okay. What I'm interested in is if I ask somebody for help, because permission is is one of the critical protocols, um, it is 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 then then how do you how do you confirm the accuracy of the message? And so I have methods that I've built up to to check and double check uh, because I would never be so arrogant as to assume just because it popped into my mind that it's the absolute truth for myself or for someone I'm working with. And particularly if I'm working with someone, the last thing I ever want to do is give them information that's not uh, absolutely completely vetted. Yeah, you don't want to channel the uh, angel. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't know. Go figure it out. <laughs> so tell me about how you're how. <clears throat> see if I can actually form a question here. Tell me what you're doing with Healing Drummer and all the sound therapy and all that kind of stuff when you work with people. Well, one of the things that I found is that, um, again, I mentioned earlier, you know, I've had great help from psycho psychologists and, and psychology. And I find it to be uh, uh, there's a loop that you can really get into in talk therapy where you continually talk and talk and talk. You have a cathartic episode. You feel better. You're all kumbaya. You leave the therapist's office. The next week you're in talking about the exact same thing. And 10 years later, you're still talking about the same thing. What that shows me is that there is a, a, an energetic um, – shift but not an energetic transformation and if we want to get out of our shit we need an energetic transformation and so the thing that i learned in west africa working with these tribes people is a way to use sound and rhythm to change literally change the energy that you carry everything about your life everything is a reflection of the energy that you carry when you change your energy or change your rhythm, you change your life. And that's been my tagline since 91. Change your rhythm, change your life. And it, and it really is that simple. So I use these elemental rhythms, uh, which I developed uh, through oh, literally thousands of hours of meditation and then having them confirmed and reconfirmed by the, by the elders. Um, because, again, the last thing I want to do is just create some scam system that gives somebody a kumbaya experience but doesn't change their life. Um, I want I want real change. I want people to, to not have to suffer with what they've been suffering from. And uh, anyway, bottom line is uh, after having this wild dream uh, about zombies um, and healing these zombies in my dream – uh, I called Malatoma and I'm like, dude, what's up with this dream? And I explained the dream and he's like, are you stupid or what? And I'm like, what do you mean? That's not very nice. I've just had five of these horrific dreams where zombies have come after me. He said, yeah, and you healed them by drumming over them. The ancestors are showing you what your life purpose is. Just start doing it. And so I'm like, just start doing it. Just like stand over people and start drumming. Are you crazy? <laughs> And he just hung up. <laughs> that was it. So I was taking a shamanic training, and and, and at lunchtime, I, I told people that it was like a six month deal. Uh, you know, we met every other weekend or something. I can't remember, but it was a, a regular ongoing thing with the same group of people. 
So I asked him, hey, this is going to sound really crazy, but if any of you guys will come and lay down underneath me, I'm going to drum on you and I need your feedback. And what happened was lifelong habits, lifelong uh, physical conditions, lifelong ways of thinking started to shift people out of their dilemmas and into their solutions instantaneously. I mean, it was the wildest thing I'd ever seen in my life. It was just like in the dream. And uh, so I'm like, wow, maybe there's something to this. And uh, then I met this guy named Fred Allen Wolf, who's a, a physicist. He's uh, they call him Dr. Quantum. And uh, he's he's a cool guy. He's written a bunch of books on quantum physics. And, and we were talking and, and I told him about the drumming. And he's like, well, of course. Hey, he said, you know, since the invention of the subatomic microscope, he said, we're looking at particles now that if you took an atom and you blew it up to the size of the planet Earth, the particles that we're looking at at that magnification would be the size of a basketball. And we still haven't found anything solid. Everything is energy. When that drumming sound energy impacts a person, it shifts their energetic structure. So, of course, you can have lifelong things change because, you know, it's it bypasses the brain that tries to figure things out and it goes to pure energetic healing. He said you're actually working on the subatomic particles that are creating the atoms, which then create the matter, which then create the person. And, you know, so he said, if you're just working on somebody's DNA, you're way, way, way up the chain. He said, where you're going with this drumming is back to the very core of, of the existence of their energy and transforming it through their intention. Because that's, a, that's a, of course, a, a really powerful way that the scientists have discovered how energy transforms is through intention. They can literally watch the pattern of subatomic particles change as they project intention into the subatomic microscope, and they're watching these, these particles. So it's like, oh, cool. I didn't know any of that when I started. I just knew that when I drummed, just like in the dream, when I drummed, people changed. And so that's what I've been doing for the last gazillion years since uh, I think I started actually doing sessions in about 2002 um, and uh, seen a lot of really cool things from there. I was traveling almost 300 days a year for almost 10 years and, uh, you know, just getting to see as many people as I possibly could. I realized that it was futile to try and think that I could actually do it myself. So I've been uh, taking on a few people to, uh, to train them on how to do it. And then uh, I also developed a, a program called Shift It, which is a way to take the drumming and music, create a soundtrack, a 30-minute soundtrack for people that helps to shift their energy from the situation that they're in and help propel them towards, uh, you know, where they want to go in life. And uh, so I do a lot of custom soundtracks here in my recording studio. Do you find that, um, is it more effective if, if the drumming or this, or the sound therapy is done in person or can you achieve the same effect if you're listening to it, like, you know, on a track or something like that? You can achieve the same. However, the dynamism of the experience is definitely more profound live. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it the the long term effect is is equal, but the the impact I would say that maybe the the speed in which it takes, um, uh, in which it takes holds happens faster if it's live because there's real it's it's an amazingly dynamic experience to have that drum you know, six inches from your heart chakra and getting, you know, these rhythms just viscerally experiencing that, that is, I, I, I can't even begin to describe it. Well, it does. I mean, it sounds incredible. <laughs> it sounds amazing. I've, I've watched some of your videos. I've seen some of your stuff and I mean, hands down, you're obviously very, very talented at what you do. And, um, I just, I love getting the chance to speak with you. I think that, 
you're way more fascinating than I thought you were going to be. Not that I didn't think you weren't <laughs> going to be fascinating, but you know what I mean? It's always fun to kind of learn about somebody new and everything like that. Sure. So I really appreciate you sharing. Absolutely. My pleasure. It's been really fun. What's the uh, best way for people to reach you or find some of your stuff if they want to go out? Uh, go to healinggerber.com um, or uh, my email is toby at healinggerber.com. Uh, contact me if you have any questions about the work. Uh, there's pretty good descriptions in the uh, workshop section and in the uh, private sessions section on the uh, on the website. Uh, but if you have any questions, you know, the thing that's really important to me, I've seen a lot of my teachers over the last 30 years, uh, as they become more popular, they become less available. And one of the things that I try and do um, – no matter what is always be available for anyone who needs me. So uh, I, I remember one of, one of my students going, what you mean? Like you give us your real email. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, you got my real email and guess what? You can go to my website and get my real cell phone. And as long as I'm not in session, I'll usually answer it. <laughs> They're like, wow, I've never had any teacher do that before. <laughs> you know, it's just like get over yourself, right? Yeah. Uh, I'm here to be of service. And the best way I can be of service is to be connected to the people that need my service. So, uh, you know, that's uh, healingdharma.com is probably the best way to get a hold of me, though. And you do a lot on your Facebook page too, right? Like if I'm not mistaken, you throw up some of those live videos where you're doing like drum church once a week or something. Yeah, every Sunday. This just happened as I – you know, and this is welcome to my life, right? Um, uh, one Sunday, um, one of my friends was giving me a, a, a bad time about uh, about church uh, and, and he's a, uh, a fundamentalist Christian, bless his heart, and I am absolutely going to hell and I'm in alignment with the devil. And I'm like, well, cool, you know, I guess I won't see you, you know, in the afterlife. <laughs> and uh, but I will see almost all my friends. And so he's giving me shit about church. And I'm like, well, hell, I'll just create my own drum church. And just on a whim, I sat down, did a Facebook live, called it drum church. I mean, I just totally pulled it out of my backside. All of a sudden, I had 600 views. <laughs> and I just I'm like, Oh shit, maybe I stumbled onto something here. Yeah, I think and, it's good yeah, stuff. Every Sunday, eleven o'clock Eastern time, no matter where I am in the world, it's eleven o'clock Eastern time. Sometimes I gotta get up really early or stay up really late, but I do it anyway. And um and uh, yeah, we do I do thirty minutes and uh, it, each Sunday has a different theme and uh I drum and talk and have people just take in the drumming. That's really fun. Sometimes when I'm here in the studio just doing my morning devotion, I'll get a little hit that someone out there needs to hear something for that day. And so I'll just pop on a Facebook Live. So they'll just sometimes there's just spontaneous videos. Uh, and then, of course, on the blog section of Healing Drummer, there's a ton of stuff. And on YouTube, there's a ton, I don't know, I've got eight or 800 videos or something on YouTube. Um, and so, you know, just Google uh, Toby Christensen or Toby Christensen Drummer and uh, – <laughs> They all come popping up. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Toby. I really, really appreciate you taking the time. Craig, it's been a pleasure. And and uh, I, I have done many, 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 many interviews. And this was was a very, very fun one. So it's it's you ask really good questions and gather good information. And there's a there is a, a knack and a gift to that. So thank you. It was really a pleasure working with you. Well, thank you. And everybody go out and have a beautiful, wonderful day. I realized the song of my life sucked and I changed the station. Everything about your life, everything is a reflection of the energy that you carry. What you focus on, you feed. When that drum started, my heart blew wide open. When you change your energy or change your rhythm, you change your life.